I'm being torn apart. I want to be free of this pain. I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Will you help me? Yes, anything. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 262, The Last Jedi Sparks. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and the Wampa's Lair podcast this time is brought to you again by Tops, introducing the most high-end Tops Star Wars trading card product ever, Tops Star Wars Stellar Signatures, and the Last Jedi series out now, available at all great hobby stores. And don't forget the Star Wars card trader app, Star Wars The Last Jedi, is here and the Star Wars card trader by Tops is offering 20% increase in crystal bundle sales. Offers will be available through December 21st. Sign in now. I'm, as always, joined by the Poe Dameron to my fin. We have Carl LeClaire. Buddy! Where's my droid? <laughs> <laughs> Jason. How's it going? Don't, I'm oh, doing very, very well. Um, I'm very excited because we are joined in this episode by one of my favorite people in all the southern land. It is the man who sparked the very thought of the Wampa's Lair. And it is the wonderful, the only, Chris Hawthorne's Planet Smith. What's going on? How's everybody going today? Ah, uh, Listen to that voice, folks. That is the, <laughs> the voice of southern richness right there. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I'm so glad you're joining us because I know you and Matt just did an episode just a few days ago over in the Starlack Pit on the movie. I hope you don't mind talking some more Last Jedi. No, I think I can find a little something else to talk about. Great. And I know Matt may end up joining us a little bit later. Um, he's, he's running a little bit late, but um, all the same, it doesn't matter because we've got the great southern voice of Chris Smith. So, um, so Chris, I... You, I hope you enjoy being Carl's definition of Southern, um, even though I'm from Texas and stuff too. So, but you're the definition of Southern for Carl. Uh, you're West. Yeah. You're Western. <laughs> you're Southwestern, Jason. Carl's weird, so we know. <laughs> so again, just a quick reminder to any of you listening. Of course, if you haven't seen Last Jedi. At this point, there will be tons of spoilers. You've been warned. Uh, our guess is if you're listening, you've probably seen it by this point. Um, and uh, anyway, we are going to be just diving right into all the ins and outs. Jason and I recorded, obviously, last week right after we'd seen it the first night. Um, I've seen it three more times since then. Jason, I know you've gone two more times. And Chris, you've seen it twice. Was that right? Correct. Just twice. So okay. far. Okay. Um, and... So just real quick to speak to even just that experience, what was it like for both of you going from viewing one to viewing two? Was there a change in any way, shape, or form, or was it consistent? I mean, I know, Jason, you really loved it from from out of the gate. 
did did it mm-hmm. just enrich that in the the further viewings or um yeah definitely um i've been able to to catch on to a few more things um and i've been able to what's fun is is i've <laughs> i've gone and seen it with each time I've gone to see it, I've gone with one of my family members. So my brother and I went with uh, with a listener, Joey, uh, to see it opening night on Thursday night. And then my mom and I went Friday together, and then my dad and I went Sunday. So I've been kind of taking them each one by one almost to see the movie. So it's fun that way because uh, I get to sort of ask questions of them, seeing it through their eyes, um, find out what they like too. But it, it's one of those things where for me, going and doing the multiple viewings – since I did enjoy it, and I, I, I feel like I got the the what the Last Jedi was going for. Um, it's just in, you know deepened my appreciation for the risks that were taken because it's a very risky movie um, in a sense. But uh, I've also been able to you know start digging into some of the details, picking up some of the other little things hidden away, um, and just really going and enjoying it again. So uh, I. I plan to see it again probably before the end of the week, uh, before Christmas. Uh, so we'll see. But I hope I can do that. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Was there – because I, I haven't even really talked to you much since it's been out. And I know you the other day just via text you said you, you really liked it. Was that consistent both viewings? Like did you love it again like from the first viewing or did you have a, any sort of changed experience between the first and second? Okay. Um well, for me, I was really kind of—I kind of hate to word the use use the word confused, but I just had a lot to process. That stupid Leia thing just really kind of threw me for a little little bit in the movie, and so I get—I don't know. After that, I think I was just kind of like in shock, and just kind of really didn't know what to think of it, and I was letting it process. I mean, I enjoyed the movie, but there was just some things in it that really bugged me. But when I went the second time, I was able to kind of push past the Leia thing it's it's like everything fell into place I picked up on more things uh, certain things sunk in that they didn't sink in the first time and so you know I love the movie I think it's fantastic uh, with just a few you know exceptions maybe 90% of it I love and there's just that little small bit of it that some things that I really just didn't like yeah I know for me um, it was somewhat of a similar experience to Rogue One when I went to Rogue One, the first viewing, I was like, wow, what, what was that? Like, I, I just didn't know. It was so, so different from, you know, the saga films we'd had up to that point. Um, but I went back the following night. I didn't dislike it at all. I just was like, wow, that was, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to think. And I went back the second night and I was just, I was all in, crazy in love. I did, I don't want to say a complete 180 because that would imply that I hated it. It wasn't a complete 180. I just did more of a shift towards the love section. Um, and, I know like the first time I saw Last Jedi, which I probably said a little bit on our last episode, halfway through the movie, I leaned over to my friend and I said, oh my gosh, this is so good. This is amazing. And then at the end of the movie, there were so many little things that I, not that I did, like hated, but little things that just like fell out of place to me that I said to the group I was with, I was like, well, that was a great movie. I don't know if it was a great Star Wars movie because there was things that just didn't feel Star Warsy to me. Um, and then the second viewing, I don't want to say it was a complete 180 again, but it was, I definitely enjoyed it much, much more with the second, third and fourth time I saw it. When I went just a couple nights ago, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, there's still a few things that don't really work for me that I don't particularly love, but almost no Star Wars movie to me is flawless except the Empire Strikes Back. I mean, they all have little things that 
like don't necessarily like woohoo i love this every little aspect like no movie's going to be like that i don't expect that um but i've really really come to to love what this movie is and what it's doing um and there's so many reasons for that um so i thought what might be really fun just to um kick this off is is to kind of do kind of an old-fashioned review style and let's look a little bit at where the story goes where it starts where it ends um and uh talk about some of the things that really worked for us within that um so right like this first time ever we get a star wars movie that picks up immediately after the one preceding it or excuse me yeah preceding is that before Yep. Okay. Yes. All right. Good. <laughs> um, right. So this clearly picks up right after, um, you know, Force Awakens ends. And um, again, the 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 weird trumpet blast for the Star Wars theme, just like we had with Force Awakens. Um, but I actually appreciate that they stayed consistent with it because, um, you know, again, I think it's a little bit of a different sounding theme for a new trilogy. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Um, but right, then we get this opening shot that kind of zooms down into the into the small fleet there of the resistance and um i love that the first character we see is billy lord right carrie's daughter and yeah. I, I don't know the character's name do either of you oh i had it the other day hold on i'll i'll pull it up um but continue talking okay um sorry <laughs> So I really enjoy, you know, that she's the first character we see. We do. We see the hustle and the bustle. And, you know, we've got this guy kind of complaining about about I shouldn't do this. this is, I don't want to do too de- in depth of a plot because summary, because we'll be here all night. But right. You know, they're in such a rush that she basically says, don't worry about all the extra munitions. We got to get out of here. And within two seconds of saying that, right, um, we get that great shot in the sky of the Star Destroyer showing up. You know, Kylo's theme swells in. Um, so, I, you know, again, this is. Um, in a way somewhat similar to the start of A New Hope in regards to the sense of immediate danger, right? The, a New Hope opens with a ship being under attack. This movie almost immediately begins with a fleet about to be under attack, right? So there's just this immediate threat right as we jump into this movie. How, what did you guys think of that? What did you think as you know, the movie opens and it's like immediately like, oh, crap, our heroes are in danger? Um, I, I thought it was, uh, good because obviously this picks up right after, uh, the force awakens and we know that, um, uh, that the first order knows where they're at. Uh, and so it makes sense that they're on the run, that the first order has found them and that, uh, we, we immediately have to kick this off with some action. So, um, it makes sense to me. So I, I thought it it worked well. So, but I was excited because that meant we got a space battle right off the, the right off the top. So, <laughs> um, and uh, Billy Lord's character's name is um, Lieutenant Connix. Connix. So, yeah, C O N N I X. Connix. She related to Harry Connix Jr. <laughs> Probably not. Sorry. Um, <laughs> totally. <different spellings laughs> too. Um, Chris, what did you think of the the very opening of the film? Oh, I, I loved it. it. You know, it's fantastic. It's to me, it reminded me of. Well, you know, first off, I was like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, we get a you know a battle right up front, like an empire, but it's more like Revenge of the Sith, where you just they come over the bound, and just bam, you're right in the middle of it. But uh, I mean, it was a fantastic opening scene. I mean, it's just uh, Poe and his X-wing. I mean, he's just 
just wrecking shop over everything he's trying to do there and him flying around is he, he's so different at flying this x-wing i mean he'll cut it on a dime and make a turn and i thought they did just a fantastic job with the tie fighters like that one particular shot okay that was a really cool shot <laughs> joking <laughs> which shot is that chris um no, I just thought that was a really great shot. We see it in the trailer, but the you know Poe's uh, being chased by the Tie Fighters, and he decides to go through one of those grates and has one of the Tie Fighters fall following through, and it just rips a uh, Tie Fighter in, into like three or four pieces or whatever. But you know, it, it's a fantastic scene, and we get a, a glimpse into how Poe is still so. All he all he cares about is getting things done. It doesn't matter that he's getting all of his bombers killed and half the fleet's uh, dead by the time they're finished. So, take three. Uh, so, uh, one of the things I really like about this opening sequence is one of my favorite like background characters is Captain Kennedy, the the dreadnought captain. Um, I I think he's great. <laughs> so he he entertains me. He's like a true you know, ship captain. And I, I think he's fantastic uh, because he, if he was leading the fleet and not Hux, I think there would have been a much different outcome um, <laughs> today, you know, on, on the, uh, the Dakar escape. But I, I think he was, he was just a fun character and I'm a little disappointed that he uh, got blowed up. Um, but hmm. I don't know. I, I just I just like the the character a lot. So you know that's a, I I've wondered every time I've watched that movie like why isn't Hux on the dreadnought right like the dreadnought is like it's the big ship why is he not on that um, why is Captain what is it I keep on Kennedy Kennedy yeah I keep on calling Kennedy but <laughs> um, Captain Kennedy why, I mean he's on the dreadnought Hux is not um, again I mean just from the little bit of background material we've gotten from some of the new canon I mean. You know, Hux's father is the one responsible for starting the stormtrooper divisions for the First Order, so it makes sense that he has a prominent place in the First Order. But yeah, that's a good point, Jason. I think if it weren't Hux in charge of this particular operation, it might have had a much different outcome. Um, yeah. Although I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. But yeah, I mean, this is a, a really thrilling. Um, I love it, it's 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 Poe. It's it's reminding us right off the bat that Poe is quote one hell of a pilot right like like you said yes. chris like he's flying around he's taking out all these surface cannons um and you know to make room for these bombers to come in again i think there's there's a little bit of like weirdness to this scene because uh why do they why do they bring all these bombers if they only needed one right like one bomber is enough to take out that entire dreadnought which seems a little bizarre um but be that as it may, maybe they just knew they needed as many chances as possible. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, and, and in a sense, it doesn't blow up the entire thing, right? It, it cripples it severely. I don't know. Well, yeah, I think it does blow it up because um, we see Captain Kennedy obviously go out. I love that shot of him, though, as they're about to go out. Have you noticed that, Jason? The, like the way he oh, yeah. almost makes like this defiant look. Like he's not he's not afraid. Or he's just like defiant even till the end, which to me is like the perfect face for a First Order officer. Yes, he sneers at the explosion coming his way. Like, oh, come and get me if you must, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and how cool is the uh, like when the uh, bombers start coming in? Though the the one first order 
you know, officer is looking through what looks to be like a periscope. I just think that's really cool. There's so many, there's so many callbacks in this opening space battle, both in the first order and the, the inside the resistance bombers. I felt like I was in a B 17, you know, from world war two. Like it was great the way those gunner turrets look, the way the inside of the ships look, the way they're just dressed. I mean, Again, it's very heavily influenced by probably World War II footage, which is great because that's exactly what George used to educate the way he f- shot the uh, you know, space battles for the originals. Um, so I, just, I really appreciated those callbacks to you know, the First Order being very much like the German army and you know, they've got their submarine periscope and here comes the, you know, the Allied bombers. And it, oh, I, just, I, I love those visuals. Yeah, it's a, it's a great... Uh, it's a great visual storytelling in that regard that that I think definitely fits along with um, with what we got in the original trilogy. Yeah. So, what did y'all think of the humor there? Was that uh, too much or just right? Oh, with with, uh, with Poe and Hux holding yeah. holding for Hux. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was great because that's Poe. You know, that's the first thing he does in the Force Awakens. Is he's like you know. Who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? It's hard to understand you through that apparatus, you know? That's Poe. Um, and obviously, it serves a purpose because he's stalling in order for his, his you know, jet booster to, to power up. But I, I thought it was fun. You know, it, it cracked me up. But yeah, I mean, to me, and it, what makes it even better is, is Hux is falling for it. Instead yeah. Of- <laughs> yeah. I believe he's tooling with you, sir. <laughs> Um, forget it you know yeah I think it's I think it's really funny for sure Um, I I think it's very again it's a little bit different for Star Wars humor Um, like to me that's something that I probably won't laugh at after like my seventh viewing you know because it's it's kind of what I consider like surface humor it's more slapstick I would say Um, you know which is something Irvin Kirshner didn't want to use in Empire Strikes Back so I'm not trying to criticize it because I definitely laughed it's funny but, you know, it's like it's like watching, you know, a romantic comedy. The, the humor, you know, after seeing it a couple of times, the humor just like, you know, it's coming. It's not nearly as funny. Um, right. You know, it doesn't have that timeless sense of humor that like some of the things from like Empire Strikes Back does. And, and or even, you know, don't call me a mindless philosopher. You overweight glob of glee. Now, come on, before someone sees you. Right. Like that's just like that type of bickering is a little I don't know. It's just it's just a different type of sense of humor. And obviously we get that throughout the whole film. It's a point of contention for a lot of folks. Um, I definitely laughed at all the humor throughout this movie. Um, but again, I do, none of it is like timeless humor is how I would call it. So that doesn't make it bad. It's just different. So, yeah. Did you did you it, laugh, Chris? Did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. And, uh, you know, I, I guess you're right. I really had thought of it that way as far as a timeless quality. There's still stuff in the original trilogy that it still cracks me up. Oh yeah. To this, to this day, you know, just a uh, Han sitting there, uh, you know, trying to talk to this idiot on the other line and he's you know, <laughs> boring conversation. Anyway, just him fumbling through that is just, it's just classic, you know, funny. Yeah. And, and there's going to be some stuff that I, you know, that I'll, uh, laugh at, I'm sure. But a lot of it will probably be just, you know, you won't necessarily laugh. You'll just smile when you see it. Again and again and again, but right, it, it, it was hilarious the first couple of times. <laughs> oh sure, sure. Um, but what did you guys think of? So to me, the first real um, indication of of a different vision, you know, cinematography wise, 
is the shot though of of Paige as she's you know uh, she kind of gets knocked out when she falls down you know the the ladder and then she comes to and there's the explosion beneath her she's you know we get the very big zoom in on like half of her face with the space battle beneath her again that's a very different cinematography vision for Star Wars, right? We we come to as if, you know, we were just knocked out cold, right? Like the sound kind of slowly comes back in, right? To kind of mimic the fe- the effect of, of what's going on in Paige's head, right? Like she probably got knocked out there for a bit. Um, mm-hmm. What did you guys think of, you know, that kind of stylistic form for, for Star Wars? Did, 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 did it bother you? Did you think it worked fine? Did it make sense? Um, what did you think of like a shot like that? Well, you know, for me, I mean, it was fine. Uh, it was definitely different. I mean, um, when they showed it, I was like, okay, this is something different that Ryan's doing. And But, I, but it worked. Um, and like you said, I mean, it is. It's completely different than anything we've seen in any of the other Star Wars films. But, uh, it, you know, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. What about no, you, Jason? It, it was... It didn't bother me. It didn't bother me at all um, because I, I've come to, you know, anticipate, I guess, and expect that that cinematography, you know, that the cinematography of, of this new trilogy is going to be different. Um, and, and I'm just kind of going in expecting that. Um, and so I'm fine with it. Um, I, I. It doesn't. It, it's all over pop culture movies, you know, this type of, this type of stuff, you know, the, the superhero movies, the action, action movie. movie. Uh, so, uh, so it, it's those things, things that, that it, it's, it's just, it's just sort of in the pop culture pop. lexicon and I'm used to it. So I'm, I'm okay with it. Sure. Yeah. You know, before I went into the movie, the thing I knew I was going to have the hardest time with was the way they were going to shoot it. Um, because you know, that's still the only, the only one of the big things that, sometimes took me out of force awakens were some of the camera angles and the way JJ chose to shoot. Um, but again, neither of them are George Lucas. We can't expect them to just do that same thing. And, you know, I heard in a few interviews that direct question asked to Ryan Johnson, you know, what is your shooting style? Like, do you, do you, you know, is it similar to like those old films? And he's very honest and says, you know, I, I had to be true to my own vision. Like I couldn't sit there and think like, oh, I need to shoot this like X, right? And I, I appreciate that. And before I went to the movie, because I went down with like Joe Hogan and a group of guys down in New York, and Joe, as those of you who've listened to the show for a long time, know does all the artwork for us, and he's you know a professional artist. You know, he he gave me a little uh, sit down conversation, which I appreciate. And he said, you know, Carl, you need to understand that Star Wars is art, and we have a new artist. Um, giving us that art in their own vision. So it's not going to be the same as Lucas. And you, you know, you need to understand that and respect that. And so going into the movie, I with kind of that clear head, it didn't bother me at all. I was like, yeah, this is different. Um, and that's okay. Um, Cause this is still a very compelling and exciting scene. Um, also really quick, the moment when BB eight goes down inside pose X wing and starts trying to like clamp all the leaking hoses or whatever he's doing. <laughs> just reminded me so much of like the antics at the top of revenge of the sith right with like the buzz droids and stuff i don't know just the way it all worked and stuff it just and again i don't don't think it's trying to intentionally be that but it just reminded me of like the the you know the mess with the buzz droids at the start of revenge of the sith i i love that part he's you know trying to he's basically sticking his finger in it to make hold it down so it it doesn't keep sparking and then it just keeps going and going and going. He has to, you know, jam his whole head in there to make it stop. I I thought it was great. Um, 
it cracked it, it amused me i think i think that's sort of the humor that'll that'll be a bit more timeless than the the jokes at the beginning but um yeah no i i like that <laughs> yeah. bb8's great bb8 can almost do no wrong in my eyes it, it's i'm a little biased just so, so you, everyone knows <laughs> you sure love your droids jason um uh-huh. well just for the sake of time because we've spent a long time just talking about the opening like five minutes we should probably go a little bit quicker here um <laughs> But, uh, you know, so the movie then progresses to, to Octu, right? And, um, you know, Finn comes to and, you know, this now this to me is like a very funny scene. Um, like that's that's like Star Wars humor. It, it, I don't want to I want to be cautious about using language like that because I know that that, you know, like saying, oh, that was Star Wars and that wasn't Star Wars. That's in a way and. And and I don't mean this to be rude to anybody who does use language like that, but in a way, it is. It's it, it's a clear indictment as if something's wrong, right? Like when you say, "Oh, that was a Star Wars scene," which would imply that something else wasn't. Um, so I, I do want to try to be a little careful with that language, just because this is a Star Wars movie at the end of the day. And if certain scenes don't work for you, doesn't mean it's not Star Wars. Uh, Jedi rocks sure, sure as hell doesn't work for me in Return of the Jedi. So what do I do? I fast forward it. It's not a big deal. I don't care. <laughs> doesn't take anything away from me. Um, but uh, anyway, right? Like, so Finn comes comes walking out, and you know, I love I love BB-8 chirping at, at Poe, and he's like, "Finn naked, leaking bag? What?" <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that's like it's so great. Um, but I love it, right? This and and I know something we're going to talk about in, shortly here, Jason. But I saw a, a comment you made somewhere online um, in one of the podcast forums or something. I really appreciated your point about the perspective on on canto bite but right like immediately finn's first line where's ray right that's that's his still his only stake in the game um yeah is is ray and then you know we get that beautiful shot of the island on octu and we get a very quick recreation of the uh you know the end of force awakens and and the musical cue is perfect it's the, the it's the music we used at the top of the show this episode but um you know, it's it's a quick reprise of the Jedi Steps, which to me is one of the best pieces of music John Williams has ever written. Um, but then, you know, Ray hands him the lightsaber, and Chris, I'm sure you appreciate this as a as a OT, you know, as a, a man who grew up in the OT. Not that others couldn't. Um, but when Luke reaches out to receive the lightsaber, you guys notice how there's still the hole in his hand from Return of the Jedi? Oh, I didn't notice. Oh, it's. Oh, I didn't. Oh, you didn't? Oh, you guys should check. If you look at any of the still pictures, it's, I mean, it, it's right, you know, because his sleeve comes down to cover up a good half of it, but you can tell that there is still the blaster hole from when he got shot in Return of the Jedi, which to me is just fascinating to think that he never, like, in, between Return of the Jedi and now, never got a new hand. Um, I mean, he clearly doesn't have the flesh on it anymore, right? Like, he had flesh on it. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just, again, and like, huh. To me, to all of those people who are saying like, oh, Ryan Johnson doesn't get Star Wars, that a little thing like that. Yeah, he does get Star Wars. And right. You don't you don't put something that subtle in there unless you really love these films. Right. Like unless it's part of your DNA, you don't think to put the little hole in his hand from when he got shot in Return of the Jedi. Right. Like that's such a, it's some, something so simple, yet something that only a, like a hardcore fan is really going to, you know, think to even put in there. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to go back and, and and 
pick that out next time I see the movie. I didn't notice that at all. Oh yeah, you can see it in pictures too. If you just look up those how many of those images, you'll be able to tell. It's really great. But um, but then we get the shocking moment, right, guys? So Ray hands it to him. Luke looks at it. He's looking forlorn, just like he did at the end of Force Awakens, and he tosses it over his shoulder. How did Chris? I want to ask you first. How did that? What did you? What was your response when Luke just tosses that over his shoulder? Well, I knew that Luke was going to be different because they made the point they were talking about that that you know that Mark didn't agree with the way it was going, and but he uh, he appreciated it, and by the end he was fine with it. And I was just kind of sitting there, just waiting. And then when it happened, I was kind of like, kind of a chuckle. And I was like, "What? Like what? Is, what? <laughs> it, it, the whole thing to me that makes it funny and sells it is the look on Ray's face when he yeah. walks off. She's just kind of standing there, looking back and forth, like, oh, "Okay, what do I do now?" So I mean, it works. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Yo, hey, we got a new Luke. <laughs> Yeah, it to me it just goes to to show how much Luke does not want to be um, involved anymore, and how much he's trying to shut him off, himself off. Um, and so, I, I I will say I was a little surprised when he just you know tosses it over his shoulder, um, but I I went along with it, and it kind of cracked me up. And then of course the Porgs almost killed themselves with the, the so, thing. So um, cute, yeah. But, <laughs> sitting there, you're like, don't, no, no. And <laughs> right, don't. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, you're not going to kill a Porg with a lightsaber, are you? Right, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, that... But like you, you know, like you both said, right? They they've been preparing us for over a year that Luke is a different character than what we would have might you know what we might have expected. Um, and that's you know I love your point, Jason. It's just like nope, I'm done with this. Like that's how meaningless this is. That's that's the lightsaber that started his journey. It's the lightsaber of his father, his legacy. Nope, it, I'm done. Right? Like I am literally done. Um, and to me, the my and every time I've gone, there's been a great like a huge chuckle. Um, from the audience. So it definitely works. Um, and, but to me, what really sells it and, and is after he walks off and then Ray, you know, kind of befuddled is like master Skywalker. Like she, like she's just as shocked as we are, which I appreciate so much. Right. In a way, I think a lot of this, this early stuff on Octu between Ray and Luke is Ray, is kind of a stand-in for the audience. She right. She's going to this to this master with the same expectations that we all are going into this movie with. This is Ma- Jedi Master Luke Skywalker, the man of legends. You know, the godlike hero that has been immortal immortalized for the past thirty odd years. Right. So she goes into that with our same expectations, which I love. And right as he marches off, just Master Skywalker, like she's she's so befuddled and, and Daisy just crushes the response. She she's she does it. She does it for us. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it's like it's like what Mark Hamill did um, with the, the whole Dagobah stuff in Empire Strikes Back. That that doesn't work unless Mark sells it, you know, especially with, you know, with the puppet. But, you know, it, it's sort of like. Ray Ray is our reaction as well. She's like, wait, wait, what? What just happened? What was that? Why? What are you doing? Where are you going? You know, and and it it works. Um, so I I thought it w- was great. Um, and again, I I chuckle every time 
he just tosses it over his shoulder. So I'm like, okay, here we go. You know, new Luke. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. Yeah. So, I know, right? And then the it's so great because she's trying to convince him to come back. Right? That's her initial thing. She she doesn't go there right off the bat and say like, hey, um, can you train me to be a Jedi? Right? That's not her initial pitch. Her initial pitch is... You know, I was sent by your sister Leia. The Resistance needs you. Kylo Ren is very strong in the dark side. We need you. We need you to bring the Jedi Order back. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, also, real quick, before we even get into that, when he, you know, did you do you guys remember Luke's first lines? Go away. Go away. Right. She's knocking on the door. Go away. By the way, I just want to give a quick shout out because I I think Star Wars always gives us beautiful like still shots, something that I could just look at as if it were a painting for for hours. And to me, it's the shot of Ray. She's knocking on the door. She's kind of off to the right. Again, everything's focused off to the right. The, the hut's on the right side of the screen with Ray, and then there's just the ocean and the islands again, like littered in the background. I just think that's such a beautiful, stunning shot. Um, you know, while while we all know exactly where that was filmed in Northern Ireland. I still think I'm like, oh, my God, I'm on another world and I love it. Right. Like, it's so beautiful. Um, But she's, you know, knocking. And when the door goes flying in, who did you guys think? What do you think caused that when you saw it the first time? Uh, You know, I was like, did Ray just like bash that in with her staff and is, you know, or using the force to try and get his attention? Um, That was my initial thought running through my head. But I loved what actually happened even better. Yeah, Chris, what did you think when when that door goes flying in? Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I thought Ray used force to blast the door open, and you know, I was kind of surprised to see Chewie come through the door because I was expecting Ray to come through the door, and then Luke would have been like, "Wow, you know, that's that's pretty powerful." But <laughs> to have Chewie come in and start yelling at him, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> and the thing that got me in that moment too is, you know, well, we'll you know, it's a long story. We'll tell you on the Falcon. The Falcon, where's Han? Right, like the assumption I think of, or at least for myself, and I know probably lots of other folks. The end of Force Awakens, right? The way Luke is looking at her, there's so much emotion on his face, and you know, a lot of us I think were kind of assuming he felt what just happened, right? He felt Kylo kill his father, and and like he didn't go back to stop it because again, he's out of the picture. Um, it's not for him to do, but we. That's clearly not the case. He didn't know because he wouldn't have asked, where's Han? And I love the way he says it, um, right? And he just doesn't know. He doesn't well, know. And we learn not too long later why he doesn't know. Cut himself off from the Force. He didn't feel it. Doesn't know. And, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting because that, and I, you know, I always wonder, well, why didn't another Jedi or something like Leia, why couldn't she have? been able to tell where he was but that that explains why that he closed himself off right and just to to um just in case those of you who are you know big legends fans it, i always remember that is a force ability used in in the uh the legacy of the force series which is the series where jason solo becomes darth kytus um, there is a force power in Legends where certain characters can hide their force presence, right? They can kind of detach from it so that they can't be detected. Um, so again, while that's you know new for the films of Star Wars, it's not new to Star Wars. The idea that someone could be impossible to contact through the force if they you know choose to do that. So again, I think it, it sticks with that continuity 
of, of things we've gotten in, in the past from other Star Wars media. Um, hmm. But uh, yeah, you know, like Ray's pitching this to him, like we, we need you to come back. And Luke's again, like there's so much of this movie really is it's both an in-universe story, but it's also a story to us, right? To us diehard fans who with you know obviously lots of expectations and by the way there's nothing wrong with any of those expectations right we're not wrong for having wanted those expectations and we're not wrong for a felt feeling left down it's just again we're we're being called to to expand ourselves beyond those expectations but right luke's line what did you think i was going to do go out and with a laser sword and face down the whole first order boom yeah that's what we wanted man (laughs) like right (laughs) Right. It's exactly what we wanted. It was, you know, we, so we've all been waiting for. And, you know, we kind of get that in the end in a way, which, you know, um, is nice. But, you know, the fact that, that we address it, you know, early on here with the um, with Ray and Luke, it's like, OK, well. And I've been telling everybody this since we started watch- getting the trailers, and, and the line in the trailer from from Luke that we get is, you know, this is not going to go the way you think. And I'm like, that's that's a line not only for the characters in the movie, but for us. Mm-hmm. And so I would I went into this movie expecting that to be the case, and I think that helped <laughs> my acceptance of 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 going through the Last Jedi because there's a lot in this movie that's different. Um, and, and I don't think it's a bad thing, but it's just a thing that people are going to have to get used to, um, as we move forward, because it, this, this is, I think this film is going to really help set the tone for what the sequel trilogy becomes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just, do you guys mind if we just kind of continue to explore the, uh, the, the Octu Island stuff, um, like what goes on there. So, right. It then goes into, you know, Luke, Luke stands up and says, like, you know, I'm not going back. And, you know, Ray's like, well, I'm not going to leave without you. Um, and he just marches off. And then, you know, then we get like her following Luke around. And the thing I love so much about, you know, these next few scenes, and I know Jason, and I talked a little bit about it on the last episode, but it's so classic Master Apprentice in a sense of, you know, um, to be fair, a lot of times in those master apprentice relationships, the the master is purposely like testing the potential apprentice. Luke is I don't think Luke is testing her. He's definitely not. He's literally just rejecting her. But she's being this faithful apprentice, this faithful student to be by just following him around and right there's this there's this um faithfulness of Ray's to sticking this out. Like I'm going to do this. I don't care how much he keeps walking away. Um, you know, I'm I'm gonna. I'm going to follow him, um, and and I really, really like that. What do you What do you guys think of that particular dynamic? The way Luke is just always walking away, and she's always following. Uh, he, he didn't want to be bothered. He he literally wanted her to leave and leave him alone. He didn't want any part of it anymore. And like he said, he came here to die, and that's all he wants. Yeah, yeah. I mean it. While while it definitely helps, you know, solidify where Luke is coming from, it 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 shows definitely, you know, more of what Ray is made of, um, in that she's willing to wait him out and try and convince him uh that he's making the wrong choice, um, and that sort of thing. So um 
it, it's a very classic sort of uh, samurai uh, sort of tale, um, if you will. So uh, where the the student keeps following the prospective master around until they decide to go ahead and train them. So, yeah. 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 And then, but in this case, she doesn't really do the major convincing. It's kind of R2 that, well, the R, R2 wakes him up and then he comes back to start uh, to realize what it is that she's there for. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and the thing that also changes the dynamic, the first thing that changes the dynamic, though, is right. Ray's following up him up a hill, and she starts to hear the whispers right from that forest tree. Um, and she stops and again. The cinematography in that in, in those moments, I just find to be beautiful. And you know, she goes to this tree um, again, which is an old relic of what was once probably a beautiful shrine. Um, she goes into this tree and finds you know the ancient Jedi texts. And I love it. She's looking at them and then, who are you? Right. And, you know, she immediately goes into, you know, the resistance sent me. But who are you? You know, and where do you come from? That's nowhere. Answer. You know, nowhere. Uh, no one's from nowhere. Jack who? Yeah, that's pretty much nowhere. Right. Like, <laughs> that's a great. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, and and again, like I love the tenacity of Luke in that scene of, but why, you know, why are you here? And again, she's, she's reiterating the same, she's spitting out the same, you know, lines, if you will, like just the same script of, you know, because we need you and we need you to bring the first order back or the Jedi order back, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, but why are you here? Right. It's that, it's that master asking the apprentice. It's, it's Jesus in the gospels turning around the disciples following him. What are you looking for? What do you want? Right. Um, it's, it's that very classic trope of, but w- what is your purpose here? Right. Not what do you think you're supposed to do? But what are you doing here? Why are you here? And, and I love that there's that, that pause again, I think it, it just shows how beautiful of a writer Ryan is because there's that pause where Ray is collecting her thoughts and she realizes I have to speak my truth now. And my truth is something's awake. That's always been there. And I love that. She says, I'm afraid. Right. And again, as somebody who obviously is a, a student of, of religious tradition, scripture is full of whenever folks have their initial religious experience, they're always afraid. There's always the response of don't be afraid. Like it's neither an angel or God himself saying, don't be afraid. Ray, something bigger than herself has, you know, really grasped and taken hold of her. Her initial response is one of fear. That's the typical human response in the face of transcendence. So I love that. Ray is like, I'm afraid. I don't know what to do with it. And Luke immediately knows you need a teacher, but I can't teach you. Whoa, what? Come on, bro. Teach me. <laughs> um, I don't know if that would have worked, but. <laughs> what do you think of, you know, so Luke says, you know, I'll never train another, you know, I'll never train another uh, generation of Jedi. Woo. What'd you guys think of that? I understand him coming in. We, we talked about this on our show and, you know, I think this would have been different had it, if it had been somebody other than his own kin and in, in, in being Kylo. If that had just been another Jedi, I think it would have been different. But the fact that he feels like he failed his not just himself and his student, but his sister. So I think that has much more weight on it than what another student would have had. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I, can can we talk about the uh, this the story of what happens with uh, with Kylo and and Luke and and what what we get uh, from that? Because I think that's the biggest the biggest driving factor for Luke leaving is what happens with with Ben. Um, and obviously, we get this sort of sanitized version of you know I went to confront him and he turned on me from Luke initially. And then we get the very dark and very subjective version from Kylo. Um, as you know, he came in and was, you know, ready to, to strike me down. And I, all I did with this was to save myself. And we finally get the real story of, well, I went there to, you know, to see if I could stop it. And I realized I wasn't going to be able to stop him from turning to the dark side. And for a fleeting moment... I thought I could end it all before it began, and I realized that I couldn't, that that was the wrong way to go, and I was left with my shame and consequence. And we get, you know, the shot of Luke looking down from his lightsaber in horror and disgust at what he almost did to Ben's face uh, of horror and betrayal um, before, you know, we they cross blades. Um, can we... Did that explanation work for you guys as to, you know, in large measure why Luke has shut himself off and hidden himself away uh, on Octo? Chris, you want to go or you want me to go first? I was going to say, well, for me, yeah, it it did make sense. Um, Anytime we saw we saw the first version and the second version and I got Obi-Wan screaming in the back of my you know, ear here saying a certain point of view. I just, every time they showed this, I kept hearing that. So for me, yeah, it's, everything is going to be different from whoever sees it. It's just, that's just life and that's just how it works. But yeah, it, it worked for me. But when you spend that kind of time that Luke has and closed himself off from everybody, he's just wallowing in his own, um, I don't know, embarrassment, grief, you know, whatever it is. So it's just compounding as the years go along. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. At first, it still didn't really make sense to me. I'm like, I don't get it. Like, you screwed up. Like, I'm under the impression that Luke is the type of character, though, who would rise above that and be like, okay, I made a mistake. Now I also have to, I have to correct that mistake, right? Um, and again, for the longest time, I was really hoping that Luke's journey to Octu was because he was looking for some deeper answers, not just because he was going to hide out to die, you know, waiting to, for death to take him. Um, but the more I've thought about it um, is it's it's the most deeply troubling experience for Luke. Right. A lot of folks, I've you know, I've read a lot of arguments of like, you know, Luke is the one who saw the goodness in his father and turned him. Why would he just abandon even Ben like this? Also remember this, his experience of his father was very, very, very limited, right? His, his initial encounter with him is on, you know, in Empire in Cloud City. He just, he's, he's just fighting a monster. He's fighting his enemy. Then he learns it's his father. Um, and somewhere along the way, realizes that his father isn't completely gone because he's alive still, right? Like if his father, if, if that must truly be his father because a monster would have slayed him, right? Um, and you know, that brings him back to knowing the goodness in him. 
the difference with Ben, and, and we get this in that beautiful moment where he reveals how he feels like he's specifically let down Leia, but he has known Ben probably his whole life, witnessed this rising darkness, realized, you know, I don't know what to do about this, has a moment of weakness, one moment of weakness. And sadly, Ben saw it, right? Like if, if he turned that lightsaber on, turned it off, and Ben never woke up, we'd have been fine. Um, but he sees it, and that's what changes everything. And I think there's nothing more human than making a very big mistake and not being able to shake that, right? Like this is a monumental mistake for Luke, and it just shakes him to his very core. Um, so it's not that he refuses to be a hero anymore. It's just he feels he doesn't trust himself, I think, is what it is, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. – I clearly don't know what's best because I saw a rising darkness in Ben and my initial response was one of violence, right? Like, yeah, I didn't follow through on said violence, but like he's so ashamed. It shook him to his core um, and he doesn't know. He doesn't know what to do, and all he all he does do though is says, "I'm done." Like the galaxy is better off without me. Um, and and I do love the way that we we get that scene played out in in essentially three different ways. We get Luke's initial response of like, you know, I sense the darkness in him, and he turned on me. And then Ben's response is, you know, he right when we see it from his perspective, we see almost a Sith like Luke you know glaring down at him with his blade drawn so in ben's eyes it's a monster trying to slay him and then we get luke's mm-hmm. full fuller truth you know right before ray leaves when she says you know did you create kylo ren and in a way he did not and you know again not on purpose but he certainly did um yeah and uh you know and that's what he hates to admit but like yeah like i went in there and for the fleeting a fleeting moment i thought that's what i had to do but then I was left with shame and consequence. And that's exactly the point, right? Like the consequence is, you know, and I love how he says, all I saw was the eyes of a, a frightened child whose master had failed them. And I'm like, oh, that like hits you in the heart. How could it not? Right? Yeah. If you had somebody looking up to you, you know, for guidance and, and leadership, and then they, you know, then the, <laughs> You wake up and they're looking down at you with a weapon, you know, to see a frightened child. I mean, that must that's that has killed Luke. Right. That that stripped away the 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 iconic hero of Luke Skywalker. Right. How and then it, how could it not? Yeah. Right. Oh. Go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, you know, yes and, and, and no, because. You know, Kylo's response was immediately dark, mm. and it didn't have to be. Sure. You know, it could have been like how Luke handled Vader in Return of the Jedi. He chose to redeem his father instead of killing him or turning to the dark side himself. And, you know, of course, Ray points it out that, no, you didn't fail him. He failed you. And then, of course, we'll get to that later where Yoda points out that, you have to give you ha- as a teacher you can't just give all the positives you have to teach your negatives as well and to me that is something that Yoda learned while he was on Dagobah because when he failed in Revenge of the Sith what was the first thing he did 
he says, into exile I must go. Failed we have. So, Ooh, good connection, Chris. I'm like, wow. So in this particular, you know, it, it, within that time period, at some point, he has realized that, uh, I would say before Empire, because he pushes Luke, really, you know, he, he, he allows Luke to go into the uh, deck of a tree and to face his dark side. So he allowed him to face the negative and so that he can learn both. And he failed um, at that. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I was going to say that this this connects to a couple of other scenes with Luke uh, when he talks about the the failure of the Jedi Order uh, because of their hubris, their arrogance, and that sort of thing. And then he connects that to himself um, with you know his hubris about the being the legend of Luke Skywalker, you know that sort of thing, and and that he thought he could he could take care of this. He thought he could save Ben and all that stuff. And he is ashamed not only of what he did to Ben, but of ashamed that he allowed the legend in a sense, his hubris in a sense to, to influence and take over um, from his point of view. But then Yoda teaches him, no, 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 no. Your mistake here was not teaching the failure uh, because failure is, is one of the best teachers. Your mistake was, was not, uh, you know, working through the failure. It was, it was, you know, stopping with the failure. Um, you know, he says that in not so many words, but, you know, and that's kind of the, the fall of Luke Skywalker is that he has gotten to this point where he feels like every, I'm sure he feels like everything is riding on him because he's got this young order. His star pupil is turning to the dark side and he has to to fix this before it gets worse, and then it it gets worse, and it goes as far worse as it could. In that Kylo turns, takes a few students, kills the rest, and everything is destroyed. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, and and Luke feels so responsible because he was unable to stop it from happening in the first place, um, and that that is what sets all this off for Luke. So do you guys think that Luke checked in with Han and Leia before he left? I mean, he seems to imply in some sense there was some communication, right? Cause he says, you know, Leia blamed Snoke, but I knew it was me. I had failed him. Right. Um, but I wonder if like he went to them and said, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm just leaving. I, I, I would be really curious how that played out afterwards. Right, because Chris, I really love that connection you just made, though, to Yoda and Revenge of the Sith. Right, like failed, I have into exile, I must go. Okay, I don't know why I do Yoda; I can't really do it, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, right, like Yoda fails too. But I think the difference for Yoda is, he, but he also knows. Actually, no, he doesn't know that there are twins being born by Leia at that point. Right, he doesn't. So I don't know what his hope is for the future. Um, I mean, things change. I mean, hope literally falls into their laps when Padme gives birth. But right, Yoda's going into exile without another plan in mind, right? He knows about the twins. He does? Yeah. No, not at that point. He knows at the end of the movie because he's the one that uh, says it. Right, at the end of the movie. But his right, right after he loses Decidious, though, and he leaves and says, I must go into exile, he doesn't know about the twins yet. He'll, he'll find out in about 10 minutes, but. 
No, that was all before that, Exile. No. Well, no, but he, he's telling Bale, you know, after Bale rescues him from from his duel with, with Sidious, and Yoda says, you know, fail I have it, exile I must go. Uh, he doesn't know about the twins yet, so. Yeah. Born. yeah. Right, yeah, and then they go, and the uh, twins are born, and. Yeah, and so Yoda gets gets yeah. that hope then, but yeah, no, it's. Goes to exile and doesn't take either one of the kids. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so yeah, we're, we're gonna have to start. I want to start flying a little bit more, just so we can get through at least, at least in a general way, the the, the majority of the film. Um. Well, before, well, yeah, we should. Thirty minutes. Yeah, we we can't. Um, I don't want to ignore this point though. Also, the other big thing that's going on in Octu though is this connection between Ray and Kylo. Um, what did you guys think of that? What did you think about this? You know, again, it's 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 something we've never seen through the Force before, at least not that starkly, right? To say that, like, oh, we've never seen characters connect via the Force. That's obviously bull because let's not forget Luke Light, you know, hanging from under Cloud City. We've definitely seen yeah. this before, just never in such a physical way. What did you guys think of that? You know, for the starters, I really didn't know what I thought about it, and. I actually uh, didn't sink in the first time that uh, Snoke said he 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 did that. You know, he he opened them up and allowed them to commune. I I didn't catch that the first time around. So uh, once I heard that, it made it made everything else more make made more sense because I'm like, look, I realize Ray is powerful. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's learning, figuring all this stuff out. But it just kind of seemed kind of hard to me that she could be communicating with him and doing it so well. But once we find out that Snoke was behind it, then I'm like, okay, that makes more sense. That makes it more plausible for me. Sure. So the whole thing is weird. I'm sure that these have probably been in books somewhere before because they've done some kind of crazy stuff with the Force throughout books and throughout the time. So, uh, Jason... Yeah, no, I, I liked it. It was it was new. It was it was weird and different, but it, it worked for me. Um, it it allows Kylo and Ray the chance to connect and to develop as characters um, together, while not necessarily being in the same spot. Um, it also shows that the, you know they are very much two sides of the same coin, um, and obviously we we get you know uh, very early on that neither of them are doing this. Neither of them are initiating this because Kylo's confused about it, but he also senses that Rey is not doing this. It, it, you know, she doesn't have the strength to do it. It would kill her. You know, it, and it's a, you know interesting point that he says almost immediately that this, the effort of doing this would kill you. And then, of course, we see Luke do something much later on, you know, in the movie where ultimately, you know, he sustains it long enough and, you know, in an intense enough situation that it does kill him. Um, but, uh, I thought it was an interesting way to do it and in a really unique way to do it. And I thought it worked. And I think, you know, we get the idea that if these two characters remain connected to each other, you know, in the force, as they grew in power together, they would be able to initiate something like this on their own without, you know, the influence of Snoke. Um, so, uh, I thought it worked for me and it was, it was a nice, way to expand 
the the idea of what the force is capable of um which i think i think a lot of this movie does that and it it takes the force in a new way and i want to make sure that I, I i tell people that i i don't think that means that it's discounting or getting rid of the way that the force operates and is used you know in previous stuff this is just an expansion of what the force can do it's not a rejection and a throwing away and a casting aside of of what we've already learned this is like no that this is a growing view of what the force is capable of um and so i i really appreciated that that aspect of it yeah yeah i, I didn't really like, i didn't dislike it but like you were saying and and we discussed this too that it doing it in this manner to me opens up to do so many different things down the road in mm-hmm. future films. Yeah. Well, I think, too, at the end of the day, it's important to remember that the Force is ultimately about connection, connection of life, right? Like, it's that, you know, and we learn more, you know, the, the brief, the first lesson Luke teach, teaches Ray in the movie, right, is, you know, you know what's the Force? Yeah, but what is it? Like, I, I love... Oh my God! I can't say enough about Daisy Ridley. Marry me. Um, you know she's just so <laughs> wonderful. Be my wife. Um, you know she's she's a, such a good actress in this movie, and she's so I, that's such a funny scene too. Like reach out. She reaches her hand out, and Luke rolls his eyes. You know, and he starts tickling her hand. She's like, "I feel something. You feel it? I feel something. Yeah, it's the Force. Oh, it must be really strong." <laughs> you know, he just smacks her hand like, "Oh, it's so good." And looks up at him, and, and the look on his face is like, yeah. "Really?" Yeah. It, oh, but um, but what he teaches and, her there is he teaches her about centering herself and realizing that the Force is what connects everything. So the idea that the Force could connect people across time and space, the idea that the Force could connect Luke with Leia across time and space, to me that's like that's like to me it's like a no-brainer. Of course, that's what the Force can do. The Force is all about connecting. Um, that's the beauty of the Force. Um, and uh, you know, in that moment, in that first lesson too, I love how Ray reaches out and touches it. And again, she she is she's grasped by it and. You know, you know, what do you what do you sense between it all? You know, uh, you know, an energy, a force. And then Luke's and inside you, you know, and she realizes that it's within her. Right. The idea that the force isn't something that only the Jedi possess or it's not some power. Right. It's not some power that you have to train to get. Rather, the force is within all of us. I think that's what I I honestly think that's kind of the direction they're trying to take the mythology of the force, which I'm totally fine with. Right. It's not. In that sense, they're trying to make it a little more literal. Yeah. Um, in that sense, and, I mean, yeah, it, it it it's opening up what the Force wasn't what wasn't with the Jedi Order. You know, they they had all their rules and all this stuff. Well, Luke automatically wanted to break down the rules. Well, in the books, which are a legend now, but he he primarily wanted to break down those. Walls or rules, and you know, so it's really it's opening everything up to where they can do just so much more. Yeah, yeah, guys, yeah, guys. I just had a a flash. We have seen this type of force connection before in Rebels when Yoda projects himself. Yeah, to Ezra. Ezra. Yep, yep. It's not new. <laughs> it's not new, right? It's not new. Yeah, and it, Kanan done some of that as well. Didn't he do some of that with with Ezra? I don't. 
I don't think so. He was having his, he was having his own experience. Oh, he hears Yoda. I don't think he sees him. Only only Ezra sees Yoda. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well, and then and then Ahsoka sees Yoda as they're running out of that the temple as it's you know falling apart. You know, she she gets one last glimpse into the temple and Yoda is there smiling at her. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is this has happened before. Yoda's done this. So right. right. <laughs> um. Hey, really quick. <laughs> Before we continue, even though we can't go for too much longer, but I do just want to give one last reminder about to everybody about our sponsor for this episode, which is um, Tops and their the Star Wars Stellar Signature Cards. This limited collection features autographs from 40 of the most in-demand Star Wars actors on luxurious slabbed 48-point cards. Gee, I hope they have Harrison Ford. Only 100 collector boxes will be made. All cards are numbered to 40 less... Uh, 40 or less with one guaranteed one out of one autograph in each box. So again, just a reminder to all of you listening, check out tops.com, grab yourself some last Jedi cards. There's some great stuff in there. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think again, the thing is, right. This is, this is the, the genius of a new star Wars movie. There is so friggin' much to talk about. We could stay here on Octu for the next, three hours if we wanted to but for, for the sake of time let's talk a little bit about some other plot points though as well which i think again um a big one of contention um so let's let's tackle it a little bit is canto bite right um i i myself still don't particularly love canto bite however i really appreciate the importance of that story point um i don't know why i don't love it but again every star wars movie to me in a way hits hits a moment where it kind of slows down Right to me, like I love Return of the Jedi. It's such a fun movie, but there's certain parts on Endor. We hit like the part on Endor after the speeder bike chase, and it just kind of slows down a bit. It doesn't get bad; it just slows down. Um, right, every Star Wars movie has like those slow points, and to me, that's what Canto Bite kind of is with Last Jedi. Um, but Jason, you made a really great point about all the stuff on Canto Bite and why it's so important. Um, I think it's it, and it's it's essentially about flushing out Rose and Finn. You know, they they ultimately in a way fail; they don't get the right guy. But right. it's not about their mission. It's about their character development, which, again, this is a middle act film. That's the primary purpose of a middle act film in a Star Wars trilogy is character development. And, Jason, you made a great point. And I'm not going to steal it because you made it about why it's <laughs> so important for Finn. So I want you to I want you to share that with everybody. Yeah. First of all, I, I think Rose is a great character. This is, does a lot for her character. But the, the reason why Canto Bite is necessary is from more of Finn's point of view in my my perspective. And it is because of this. And we, we touched on it very, very briefly earlier um, when you mentioned Finn coming out. You know, his first question is, where is Ray? All Finn is concerned about, the only connection Finn really has in any meaningful sense to the resistance, to this cause, is Ray. That's why he went to Starkiller Base in The Force Awakens. The only reason that he went there and went along with the plans to blow it up is because he had to go there to get Rey. And so he was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but we'll use the Force. And that's not how the Force works. Um, but, you know, and that's his motivation. That's why he's here. That's why he tries to leave is because he's like, well, I got to make sure Rey doesn't come back to this you know, disaster and get killed. Um, he's also, you know, running you know it's like Maz looking into his eyes in the force awakens the man who's been, you know, been running and all that fun stuff so he's still doing that it's only a couple days later so what this does why finn and rose 
connect and why they go to Canto Bight is for Finn to find the reason and the motivation to stay, to actually join the resistance, to see why, uh, to, to see what the the real pain in the galaxy is uh, being caused by this conflict. Um, you know, the the slavery, the the torture. And that sort of thing, hidden under the veneer of something as shiny and glitzy and glamorous as the casino. Mm-hmm. And it it gives Finn a look into what life really is under the surface of that sort of of, of that glamour and gives him a reason to not desert. It gives him a motivation to stay with the resistance and to fight the first order. And um uh, that is why a Canto Bite, I think, is so important. And he he gets tempted, you know, by uh, by the Codebreaker, um, you know, when he when he tells uh, Finn, you know, good guys, bad guys, it's you know, it's all just words, you know. Best advice: get out. You know, don't, don't fight. Yeah, don't join. Don't join. You know, stay free. Um, and so he gets tempted in that sense too. But it's the the selflessness of Rose and the the what he witnesses on Canto Bite that gives him the motivation to stick around and actually be, you know, someone who who when things look bleak on Crate, he's the one who steps up and says, "No, you know, we can fight. We need to do this." Um, and he now has a stake in a larger sense with the resistance more than just Ray being there. Uh, um, so that's, that's why that, that subplot is important, um, because it's, it's character building and character motivations for Finn. What did you think of Cannon Bite, Chris? Uh, well, you know, I hadn't even thought of it that way, but you know, I could agree with that. Um, for me, it was kind of like, I mean, it's a beautiful place. It was really cool. The, the running of the, uh, the fathers, uh, however you want to pronounce that word. Uh, or the you know the you know space horses whatever you want to call them <laughs> fathers <laughs> is what they're called and cool looking but it just to me just kind of eh, as far as need, needing it there um, it it kind of bugs me when they see the guy with the you know red lapel pin thing and you're like well what about this guy and they you know they get caught they get thrown in jail and they meet this DJ character. Which to me was just kind of a throwaway character. It's like, it's um, like. So what was the whole point of the DJ character, other you know, Code Breaker, just so he could turn him over to the to the First Order? So, you know, that kind of aspect of it just kind of eh for me. Sure, sure. You know, I, the, I love your point, Jason. It's it's so good. And the thing, Rose Rose shines in this whole movie. She's a great new character. Um, and I made this point to you, Jason, before we started recording, but, um, you know, the only new theme song we get in, in, uh, last Jedi is Rose's theme. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's such, it's a very, when I first heard it, I was like, Ooh, that sounds just so like Harry Potter to me. Like, um, and there's, I, John Williams did great music for Harry Potter, but again, it's a very different sounding music than here. 
But as I listen to it more and more, I actually really do like it. And I was saying to you, what I actually really appreciate about her theme is it just reminds me in a way of Anakin's theme from Phantom Menace. Um, not that it's like musically the same or the, even like the same musical notes. I, I'm not educated enough about music to be able, even be able to make that call. But what I simply just the feel of it, it has this sense of innocent goodness to it, which is kind of like Anakin's theme, right? Anakin's theme is a little bit more pure, but it's, it's, it's very innocent sounding, you know, right? Very, it's all about being like, it's a force of good. And I think that's what R- Rose's theme is all about. It's a theme of just innocence and, and goodness, right? And whenever she's on the screen, and a lot of times like when she's making like a good statement, you know, like when she first meets Finn, you know, you know, you know I've had to stun three people already today trying to get into that escape pod. What? That's, disgr- that's disgr- disgraceful, you know, that's, that's, which is great. But, um, you know, and she's like, you know, she's talking about her sister. Though she's like, you know, you know, you don't, you, you don't back down when things get hard, right? Like, and her her theme is kind of swelling there a little bit in the background. Like, Rose is the character in a way who connects us to the good old days, you know, before even be, you know before the prequel era, right? Of like the goodness of the galaxy. Rose represents that, and she has seen firsthand the horror of the First Order, just as Finn has. And I think um, she provides Finn, again, a bigger picture of the galaxy of this is why it's worth fighting for the resistance, because this is the type of people the First Order are. And Finn knows that. And I think it also provides a point of connection for these two characters. Um, and, and again, like it's, it's, it's not really my favorite part of the movie. Again, I think it's very useful and, and, and I appreciate it for what it is. But it's just kind of slow in a weird way, um, the Canto Bite stuff. Um, but again, so is the Han and Leia romance and empire. And that's kind of what the middle act is for them, right? They're growing closer to each other, which as a, when I was a young person, that was boring as heck. Like, I didn't enjoy it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, right. the, the, the Rose Finn stuff is, I don't think it's necessarily them falling in love on Canto Bite, but there's, it's definitely about them building that connection, which then leads to something more, right? Um, I think Rose is already in, like she's infatuated with Finn the second she meets him just because like again she's idolizing him again this movie is right. a huge theme of this movie is looking at what does it mean to be a hero right um, yeah and and Finn finally becomes the hero at the end when he says we have to go out there and fight and you see and like you know the camera goes right to Rose and she's smiling like that's the Finn she knows but what she also doesn't realize is she's the spark that brought Finn right. This movie is all about a, a, a reflection on what does it mean to be a hero and a reflection on the idea of needing sparks, needing new sparks. So for all those people who think this movie doesn't work, I think just that's just not the case. This movie is all about sparking a new generation of the Star Wars myth. And you, and you, you can't tell the same story to do that, right? Like, um, yeah. sorry, I just got off on a little bit of a tangent there. But, right, like R- Rose is the spark in Finn's life. Um, yeah. And you know ray is and ray is the the spark i would say of of the star wars mythological life right she's the one who's going to bring our story forward she's our new hero and we need a new hero yeah yeah (laughs) thank you (laughs) um uh, real quick though so chris you 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 weren't a huge fan of dj the character um what'd you think of really okay what'd you think of him jason um, I, I liked him. I thought the characterization was kind of fun. Um, I'm, I'm still, I, I don't know. He, he doesn't, you know, grab me like some of the other characters. Um, 
I thought Benicio del Toro played him well. I thought it was, he was kind of an entertaining, you know, performance. But um, I don't know. He's he's there. Um, I think my favorite part is when he's they're, they're they've pulled out a light speed um, right underneath Snoke's ship, and he's you know getting them cloaked, and he goes and blip bloppity bloop we're through the shields, you know. And I that, I don't know that that line cracks me up because <laughs> I like you know him saying blip bloppity bloop, um, but. <laughs> Um, I don't know that he's, he's there. He's, you know, he's got some kind of humorous moments. Um, but I, I don't know. I, he's a traitor. Well, yes, but <laughs> I, well, I think he's a commentary on, on those who, who say like, why bother getting involved? I don't make a difference. I, I think he's kind of a commentary on, on that apathetic part of our world who thinks that there is no point in getting involved because it's like, nope, he's, he's just, he's, he's, he sucks because of that. Right. Like, um, by the way, I love the, I love the stutter ben, Benicio del Toro gives to the character. I just think it's so funny. Um, and, and I love, I love just the way he chooses to act the part. Also, he's always when they're, when he's, um, doing, when he's breaking into the, the star, the star destroyer room there, he has the hat on backwards. I love it. Like he's got such his own style. Like he's wearing the officer's hat backwards. Like it's so funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he is, as soon as he gets an opportunity to sell them out, of course he's going to, because he doesn't care. He thinks it doesn't matter him to him. And the thing is, is it will come back to haunt him. And that's what Finn's saying. He's like, it does matter though. Um, by the way, I like that. He calls Finn big F there. Like when he's collecting stuff, he's like, Oh, big F. And I'm like, oh, that's so great. <laughs> um, I love Rose's reaction when they find out that he's a traitor. Yeah. And, you know, Finn tries to get up and they knock him out. But Rose, Rose she's not, not uh, too easy to tie back. She's yeah. like, she's to crawl across that, that floor and rip his eyes out of his socket, you know. <laughs> Poor Finn can't even stay conscious. You know, <laughs> how many times did he get knocked out in this film? Like three, I think. And at least one in the first one. So, yeah. Yeah. Before we go, though, there is one thing I wanted to discuss when we get to it. So uh, carry on. Oh, yeah. why don't we why don't you go ahead and bring it up? Because, you know, we, we've been we've been driving this train. So why, why don't you? Yeah. You right. take, uh, on a take, tangent. I'll take over for a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, we're driving the streets of Memphis. Okay? All right. Okay. And right quick. Just get on some Leonard. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, no, down here we call it Skinner. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. I used his first name. Sorry, Mr. Skinner. <laughs> Leonard is somebody's name. <laughs> uh, thing, uh, you know, I, that I really just had a tough time with. And, and look, this has been done before. It's not the first time it was done. But them blowing Leia out into space, her surviving, and then, you know, bringing herself back in. And there's reasons for it. I mean, yeah, we saw this in um, um, The Force Unleashed, That uh, in, in that particular novel. Uh, one of the characters, uh, I believe it was uh, Starkiller, he gets blown out into space, and but he you know, was able to come back in and survive. And, you know, but when we look back on the Clone Wars, they had an episode, several episodes, where the Jedi, they go out into space, but they got to have their, you know, helmets on just like anybody else. And even, you know, Plo Koon couldn't even survive for very long, even though he had his mask on. And, 
Yeah, I'm just like, that was, to me, as far as it goes for dumb things in Star Wars, it has to be in my top ten, if not to possibly be the top five. I mean, all of Star Wars, books, comics, uh, TV shows, movies, everything Star Wars. And, you know, and another thing is, is it makes me look at, okay, they didn't kill her there, so how are they going to kill her now that she has actually passed away? And they said that they're not going to use another actress. They're not going to use CG. So how are they going to kill her? Are they going to kill her in the opening crawl? Are they just going to say, oh, Leia's on that ship and blow it up? You know, it's to me, it, in my opinion, at this point, of only seeing it twice, it, it diminishes how they kill her in the future. Now they could that could all change. They could do a great job with it, but I just that just did not work for me at all. And I was curious at what you guys thought. Well, of course, this was all filmed and scripted out before we lost Carrie. Um, so it you know this was this was something you know that they had planned for the, from the beginning. Um, discussed? Do we keep this or do we change it? I'm sure that was discussed. I, I'm sure it was, but. I I like it because it shows that Leia, while she's um, – well, her focus is definitely more on the political side and the, the, you know, the rebuilding of a republic side of things. She's still connected to the Force. She's still you know, the daughter of, Luke, or of Anakin Skywalker, the brother of Luke Skywalker. She still can reach out, touch the Force, use the Force in a way, and it didn't um, – there's things in there that make me think that she was preparing a little bit for it because we get that shot right before the missile hits and she seems to be like sort of templative a little bit like she's you know sensing reaching out preparing um and she doesn't leave the shield of the ship she's still within the deflector shield of of the ship. So I, I, I feel like that, um, you know, allowed her to to remain alive a little bit longer enough for her to save herself. Now but that with the shield, that actually makes it more plausible. Yeah. So she was. Yeah, she was still inside the shield. Um, and then I think that just the whole idea of her being able to use the force in a to a degree like that makes me very happy because it 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 shows that she is training in some sense some some way that you know she is still connected to the force and not just a politician not just um, a governmental leader so she may not be a Jedi but she's definitely you know connected with the force so. I loved it. I I reached over and, and like was like smacking Joey in the theater when we first saw it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is happening! What is going on? I I love this. So you know that was it, it, my jaw was dropping the whole time that she was pulling herself back into the ship. So I just kind of thought that if she caught herself before she got blown out of that room, would have been more effective. But did you say that about the shield? You know, I didn't really notice that or. Or really even pay attention to it, to be honest. You know, she's just out there with the debris. So mm-hmm. inside that shield would actually make a difference. So how about you, Carl? 
You know, I, I mean, initially, Chris, I was with you. I, I don't like the shot of her flying back like Mary Poppins. Um, and I know there's that joke out there of her being Leia Poppins. However, I love I love what it is. And I, I, I completely understand like that, that, that gripe of like that's the perfect opportunity to kill her. However, if you kill her there, we never get to see Leia be a Skywalker in a sense of like, you know, um, what she innately has within her. And it's again, like if if she didn't. Again, yeah, like in Force Awakens, we, you know, she senses Han's death for sure. Um, and then there's that moment earlier in, in – oh, no, no, this happens later, right? Because this is after her accident um, where she connects with Luke. Um, but uh, I think it's so, it's so important because it shows that she was the, Luke's first pupil in some capacity. I would re- – you know, again, I really think that. that the first person he probably taught anything to was Leia. I mean, they set that up so so well in Return of the Jedi. It'd be weird to think that he doesn't offer some direction to her. Um, right. So I actually really like it. I love that she's able to to use the Force to preserve her life. I, I think it's a, kind of a silly shot. I still do. Every time I've seen it, I thought it was kind of silly. But I love what the scene represents, which is Leia surviving. And I get it. Yeah, it, it would be. It would make sense. They could have, like you said, Jason. I mean, they they had already shot in the film and everything before she had passed away but yes they could have gone back and just edited out the her coming back to life right like they could have easily edited it in such a way that that could have been her death scene um but i think it's important that they didn't because again for ryan his vision of the the big hero who's gonna you know who's going to die in this movie it's luke so you don't want to kill luke and leia in the same movie and how are they going to do it in the next movie i don't know um, you know, my guess is it'll be in the opening crawl. And I do think episode nine is going to take place at least a few years after episode eight. Um, I think it has to. Um, yeah. So my guess is it'll be in the opening crawl, which again, like I don't, I don't love that, but their options are limited. I mean, Carrie Fisher has passed. It's sad, but like, that's the sad reality we're going to have to deal with. Um, so I'd almost rather it be in the opening crawl than, like right at the top of the movie, like a ship get blowing up, like you said, Chris, with them being like, "Oh, General Leia was on that." Um, I mean, I guess they, I bet you they have lots of unused footage from Last Jedi where they could have like a few short scenes of her at the beginning on the, you know, on the bridge of a ship that gets taken out. Um, or they voice over a com. Right. Exactly. But any actor that could do that. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I, I'm totally fine with what they did there. I think it makes a lot of sense because again, it shows us that Leia is strong in the force. She's not a Jedi, but she's strong in the force. And I, and I really want that. So I, I actually really appreciate it for what it is while the silliness of her flying in space is kind of odd, but that's okay. I like what it represents. Um, already then. Yeah. It, but I totally get your point, Chris. Yeah. Cause the first time I was like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> it is a beautiful musical moment though. The swelling of her theme. I mean, I, I love her theme. So, uh, that poses. Cringeworthy, though. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It, I liked it. I thought it was fun. It did. I don't know. Uh, it, but I'm 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 of the, the the ilk that you know this sort of magical, mystical, you know, force wielding stuff um, is my cup of tea. And so, seeing her fly through space and you know wishing that I could fly it sometimes, you know, I <laughs> I, I thought it was. I, I liked it. And I was in the theater going, what? This is crazy. What's going on? But from a totally different, the, the, the other side of, of that coin. Like, this is crazy. This is amazing. Oh, my gosh. What's going on? I can't believe this. So, um, yeah, that was that. Was that. 
<laughs> yeah. While we're on the topic of Leia, um, I just want to – I really want to indicate how this movie shows that Leia is – she is the one s- – Skywalker who's consistently passing the torch in the entire movie. Luke does at the end in a way, but Leia, again, Leia's the strongest character, I think, through the originals up until now. Um, right? Like, even with the tragedy of Kylo, it sends Luke into exile, it sends Han back to smuggling, but Leia stays in the fight. She doesn't give up. And I'm not faulting Luke or Han, but again, I just I think there's a strength to Leia that none of the other characters possess. And Leia's no. the only one offering direct mentoring. She's clearly mentoring poe she's clearly mentored um admiral haldo who we haven't really mentioned much yet and we we can if we have time um she's not really my favorite character in the movie i think she's she's a great character but eh. <laughs> not crazy like she those types of characters don't get me excited in star wars i like the i like the jedi so um and the smugglers <laughs> but um but yeah like leia's clearly mentored several characters and you know, and and to me, the my favorite part of that is though actually is my favorite Holdo scene though is well besides the fact that she does that awesome hyperspace maneuver. Um, but oh, awesome. I love though when Holdo is arguing with Poe and he's like, "Tell us that there's at least hope." And Holdo says, "You know, Leia taught me that hope is you know, hope doesn't mean anything if you only it's like the sun. It doesn't mean anything if you can't see it when it's night or something like that, right? I don't remember the direct quote. Um, yeah." But I love that that is a lesson um, that that Leia gives us. But um, Chris, I know we've been talking for a while, and I know you've got you've probably got things you've got to do. Um, so I know you got to get going. So um, before you do, though, is there anything you kind of want to mention before you do that we might have? Obviously, there's so many things I'm sure we've yet to talk about. But is there anything well, you wanted to hit on before before you got to go? Uh, just a couple quick things. Um, that shot you were talking about, where where uh, Holdo takes the ship shoots it through uh, hyperspace right through that ship. That's a beautiful shot, and that they used no sound was so cool the way they did that and showed it from several different angles, and the crowds in both both theaters that I was in was just like, whoa. And you could just hear people talking. Yeah. And to me, the my favorite, absolute favorite scene is when Yoda shows up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he looked a little weird. He looked a little different, but Eh, it doesn't matter. He was fantastic that, you know, Luke hesitating, setting the tree on fire, and Yoda's just like, ah, don't worry about it. Boom, done. Moves one finger and just chops down the tree with the lightning and sets it on fire. And he and I love when, when he's trying to get through Luke's head and he just pops him on the forehead, you know, a hologram popping him on the forehead and, and getting his attention. And by the end of that conversation, they're... Uh, just relaxed, just like two two guys sitting out, just hanging out, chatting, and you know, and it, it makes me. And you you were talking about time between this one and the next one. Me and Matt were discussing that, and we both kind of feel like there's going to probably be maybe ten years. I think it's going to kind of be like the gap between episode one and two. And wouldn't it be awesome to see Ray starting her own Jedi Order and having like say. Uh, Yoda or Luke or you know or Obi Wan as as teachers there now as you know as Force Ghosts doing some teaching and then of course having Kylo get together with the Knights of Ren and kind of building up both of those sides for a confrontation or something so mm. that'd be cool um, would be but with what we just gotten the the 
the the sheer idea of all of our expectations just getting shot down, I wouldn't expect much. And I don't say that. I don't and I only say that to say, like, I th- I think we've been we've been taught like stop theorizing so much and, and enjoy the story we get. So I'm not trying to like shoot that down, Chris, because I think that's a great idea. Um, I, I I don't think t- I think ten years is a bit long. After um, I still think we need to see more of Ray's development as a Jedi. That's my that's my only big lingering um, complaint against this movie is I I don't think we've been still given sufficient evidence of. Ray honing her her Jedi skills. I mean, we haven't necessarily seen she, her do too much, but she did look like she was a, at some kind of a piece at the end of it. Absolutely, when they were the Falcon, of course. And you know, I'm just hearing Han screaming in my head. You know, what are all these people doing on my ship? <laughs> way too many people on my ship. Yeah, she yeah. looked like she might have had a little bit of a piece at the end. And you can kind of see, like, maybe they're moving in a direction for Finn and Rose to be, you know, some type of a romantic relationship. But, um, yeah, I, all in all, I think my, my absolute favorite part is uh, seeing Yoda and Mark on the screen. And I was so glad to see them do that. I wanted to see Luke and Leia on the, in the same scene uh, in this film somewhere, and, and we got that, so... You know, and you know, and in watching that scene, since I'm fixing to leave, watching uh, Luke show up, you know, when he first gets there, you're like, he cut his hair and dyed his 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 beard. What? (laughs) Like going along with you know, watching it, and he goes on out, and he starts when he starts the fight with Kylo, it clicks with me. I'm like, he's not there. I'm like, that's why he looks the way he looks. It's because that's what Kylo last saw him. Yeah. Was that's how he looked? Yep. And for him to show up, so with you know Yoda, and then the others, the absolute just beautiful shot of the twin sons, and him coming back, and then you just see him give way and become one with the Force, and just see the robe fall down, and then a, then the wind pick it up was just fantastic, As, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's all. Chris, I don't oh, want. Yeah, I don't want to make you uh, stay on any longer than than you can. So, um, thank you, but thanks so much for for coming on for as long as you did. We loved having you. So next time, hopefully, we'll, we won't have so many technical issues and we can talk more. <laughs> exactly. But before you go, Chris, can you just remind folks? What's that? I just we next time we won't waste a half an hour getting things started. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. Um but yeah, Chris, uh, remind folks about uh how they can they can get in on on all the projects that you do. Uh well, we do the Sarlacc Pit podcast if you did uh, didn't know. He mentioned it earlier, but if you're new to hearing about us, it's uh you can check us out at sarlaccpitpodcast.com and also through email sarlaccpitpodcast@gmail.com. And then my two other main pages that I uh, deal with is on Facebook. I have, uh, you can just search classic Star Wars, which is my absolute favorite page. Then we, uh, other page we're real busy with is Star Wars Now, which is basically anything and everything that's going on with Star Wars now. So anything that's new coming down the line, we try to cover it. So, and uh, it's basically a news site. We want to, you know, help people get the news that they're looking for. So, yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Awesome. 
Chris, I always love having you on. You are the you are the reason that we have a podcast because you brought me into this world. You're my Ben Kenobi, my friend. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I love Ben. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, man, thanks so much for being on as long as you did. I appreciate it. All right, guys. I love talking to you. Yeah, right back at you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right, man. Um, Jason, then there were two and one less Southern voice. Right. Um. But yeah, I, I, I love chatting with Chris. Um, but, uh, yeah, so actually I just want to hit something really quick that Chris brought up, of course, is the Yoda scene. And the idea of Force Ghosts, um, you know, I don't – I'm not trying to immediately after Chris leaves like say, oh, here's his – that's a stupid idea he brought up because I don't mean that at all. But the idea, though, of Force Ghosts in any way training a future generation of Jedi – I don't think it would ever make sense because the idea of Force Ghosts is it's something very personal, right? Um, yeah. Ben shows up to Luke because Luke knows him. I don't think, you know, and even the end of Return of the Jedi, nobody else sees the Holy Trinity out there, right? It's just Luke that sees it because he's the one who has the relationship with them. Um, so, again, so like, you know, I know a, a, a fan desire was to hopefully maybe see the ghost of, of you know, Anakin and confront Kylo, but. Kylo has no actual relationship with him, so I don't think that would work. The idea of Force Ghosts is they're, in, they're in t- intensely personal to who they appear to, right? Yeah. Um, and, and again, uh, it was – the first person I ever heard made this point was um, – uh, oh, my gosh. I'm blanking on his name. Sam Whitworth. There we go. In one of the commentaries he was on for, for RFR a while back. But he makes the point that you know throughout Empire Strikes Back and, and, and then into Return of the Jedi – as Luke becomes stronger in the Force and more connected to it, Ben becomes more clear to him, more lifelike, right? You know, in A New Hope, he's just a voice. In, in you know, on Hoth, he's, you know, a, a very murky, glowy person. And then at the end of Empire, when Luke goes to leave, he's much more visible. And then in Return of the Jedi, he's almost fully there, right? Like, um, and same with Yoda. When Yoda appears to Luke in Last Jedi, he's very crystal clear, right? Like, because Luke is oh, very yeah. connected to the Force at that point. Um, so I, I yeah. just, I don't, you know, I don't ever see a future where Force ghosts are interacting with people they don't have relationships with, because that's not the purpose of a Force ghost. I, I, I probably I, follow up a bit more on, on on your side of this this discussion. Yeah, and I'm not again. I'm not trying to belittle Chris's point. I think that would be a really. It's a fun idea for sure. But I just. I think the importance of Force Ghosts is that they are intensely personal. So yeah, no, I. I yeah, um, but I, I, I do like the idea that you know Luke has grown grown stronger in the Force, and so obviously uh, Yoda is so much more there. He's there's so much more. Uh, to him, and and he you know interacts with him in a much more concrete sort of way, uh, <laughs> to the you know extent that he even you know knocks him on the head with his stick, and you know Luke essentially reacts as if he felt it, you know. Um, so right, uh, it it shows that the strength of the connection to the Force that Luke has that allows the Force ghosts to um, you know bridge that that connection in a much more real way. And, you know, you don't see through Yoda nearly as much as you see through Ben in the original trilogy. So, um, I don't know if that has more to do with how strong Yoda was when he died, uh, in the force or, uh, Luke's connection, probably both, but sure. Um, but yeah, no, the, the Yoda scene was great. And, and I, I still love, you know, 
I think my favorite shot of Yoda in this movie is when uh, Luke is, is, you know, being defiant about how he's going to burn it all down. And, and Yoda um, just sort of like leans back and laps and kicks his feet up and down. I, I, I love the shot of him kicking his feet. You know, he's laughing so hard. <laughs> um, and, and he's just like kicking his feet up. And I think it's funny. Um, that and the the shot of him, you know, raising his finger to you know call the lightning down, is is great. Um, right. Well, Chris, I, right. The the puppet is a little different. It's a little weird. It threw me off at first, yeah. but uh, on, on my third viewing, I I, I just accepted it. You know, it's like okay, it's Yoda. I can I can deal with this. I mean, it's 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 Empire Strikes Back, Yoda. You know, plain and simple, and and obviously I love that because that's my favorite iteration of Yoda. I mean, and, and to be fair, it's not it's not a knock on the prequel Yoda. The the Empire Strikes Back Yoda is a wizened Yoda. He's been through the ringer, right? Like he's learned life's lessons, um, and the biggest lesson he learned clearly because it's the one he gives to Luke um, in Last Jedi. And you know, it's I don't remember who made this. It might have been my friend Ben, but talking to, I've been talking a lot about this movie lately. Um, but somebody made the great point of like you know oh. It's it's so imperative though that Luke cuts himself off from the Force right away because you can almost imagine like Force Ghost Ben, Force Ghost Yoda, Force Ghost Anakin being like, "Dude, what are you doing? Get back in the picture here!" Right? But he doesn't right. want to deal with those voices, so he just shuts himself off. Um, but remember, we do, he he connects to the Force for the first time, and who we again we don't know how long we don't know how long he's been on Octu. My guess is it's probably been well. Again, based off Bloodline, which takes place six years before Force Awakens, Luke's supposedly still off with Ben at that point. Um, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't think he's been there for more than four years. Uh, that's still a long time to be by yourself. <laughs> um, plenty of time to be a little bit of a, a, a nut job. Um, but the, I- the idea, though, is like, like, again, there's that beautiful scene, though, where Luke goes out at night. Um, and I love that he kind of does that under the cover of darkness, almost like he doesn't want Ray to know he's doing this. Again, every anytime, again, I love this part of Luke in the movie. Anytime he does something, I don't want to say nostalgic, but something to like call back to his past, he does it at night. The first instance, him sneaking on board the Falcon, that's at night. He sneaks past Chewie. He doesn't want to have a conversation with him, right? Like he's mm-hmm. doing these things at night, and but he goes out to that that stone Ray was you know meditating on, and he touches it and connects with Leia. He's open to the Force now, which is what allows I think Yoda to show up. Um, yeah, and Yoda gives him that beautiful lesson. By the way, as I'm talking about this, I'm just going crazy, feeling up my Bendem Yoda, which I love. Um, <laughs> but. Um, you know he gives he gives Luke that beautiful lesson of how failure is one of the greatest teachers, right? And Yoda is speaking from experience. Hello, the Clone Wars, the fall of the Order. That's all on yeah. Yoda's shoulders. He knows what failure is like, but he also knows what hope is like and what the importance of focusing on the future is, because that's exactly what Luke was. And um, right, he is the one. There are two people that trigger Luke back into the picture, R2 and then Yoda. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I love that scene with Yoda because, again, everything – I love that he's laughing and chuckling and, and he's – you know, he, he's that same silly old Yoda because in a way he's laughing at the silliness of Luke's sadness, right? Like get over yourself. Yeah. Like it's okay. You failed. That's okay. You can move on. And that's obviously what – compels him that probably that very next morning to climb up to that place and 
force project himself all the way across the galaxy to become the legend of Luke Skywalker once again. Right. And I love that it's Yoda, right? Like a lot of people were like, oh, why didn't we get Ben or where's Anakin? But I think it's perfectly feasible that, um, that it's Yoda. So anyway, we have been a little bit more all over the place than we expected um, because there's just so much to talk about. We've been going at this for so long. We still haven't hit so many of the big moments. I mean, we did hit a lot of them in the last one, you know, the, 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 the teaming up of Kylo and Rey and obviously Luke's heroic end, um, you know, not to mention the entire battle of Crate. But for the sake of time, we're not going to continue on because um, I'm sure we're going to be talking about this for the next couple of weeks. Because there is so much more to talk about, so much more great stuff to dive into. But um, mm. as we've been hinting at all along, and in celebration of Christmas next week, by the by, which crazy to think that Christmas is le- like less than a week away. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as again, like we love to do whenever a new movie comes out, we want you all to respond. You know, that's our Christmas gift to you. Um, so, again, we're going to encourage you to, to write in via email, um, uh, not social media, just because. Um, it's just easier to collaborate, grab all the, the thoughts via email. So email us your thoughts or like Jason said, you know, you can sh- record a short MP3 of yourself just talking. If you do that, just keep it to under a minute if you can. And I know that's a lot to ask because there is a lot people could say. Um, but, you know, we welcome you to, to give us your thoughts on the show. Um, and again, because like we know it's it, this movie has been very divisive, right? Like there are a lot of folks that really hate this movie and. And that's fine. And if you want to, you know, share your thoughts about what really didn't work for you or why you think the, the movie is a problem, please feel free to voice that. Um, we both had issues with it, too. We haven't talked a lot about them yet, but eventually we will. Um, but if you're uh-huh. going to share the things you didn't like or that you don't really care for this movie, just, again, be cognizant of the language you use. I mean, if it's very venomous or, or you're using very aggressive or even vulgar language, we're just going to delete it. We're not going to read it, obviously. Um, because we wa- we want our show to be to be fun and positive, not to the extent that like we're going to say like oh if you disagree you're wrong no of course not feel free to disagree tell us the things that didn't work for you those are great conversations but you know just be uh, just be kind <laughs> that's all yeah you know be, cogn- we- uh, be cognizant that that while you may really have a problem with something someone else may not and we don't want to we want to foster an environment of discussion and conversation and we don't want to um, foster an environment where people are just throwing bombs and molotov cocktails at each other because this was stupid now it wasn't you know and that never gets us anywhere so please yeah as, as carl said feel free to voice your your issues if you want to or your you know what you really liked uh we we welcome that uh we welcome the conversation but keep the language you know you know polite and and uh civil we don't want you know, anything like you said anything extremely venomous or vitriolic we're not going to read on the show because uh that's that's not how we want uh to pre- to present our disagreement here on 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 the wampus there we, we we work very hard to create a positive environment for discussion and debate and and disagreement um and and we're not going to to entertain things that um that take away from that environment that we're trying to create so um but carl yes if you want to weigh in on any of this stuff you know send in their stuff where can they do that well, again, for the the sake of like what, what like what we were saying, um, we invite you to do it on uh, email, 
and which is wampaslayerpodcast at gmail.com. But of course, you know, continue conversations on our social media. You can do it on Facebook, facebook.com slash wampaslayerpodcast. You can follow us on Twitter at wampaslayer. Um, anybody that wants to support us on Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash wampaslayerpodcast. Um, but yeah, you know, again, give us your feedback for the next episode. We'll get through as much of it as we can. Um, and uh, that, that might be something we have to break into a couple episodes. But um, yeah, I, Jason, the more I talk about this movie, the more I love it. Yeah, no, it, it's one of those things where you really have to work through it in order to understand uh, a lot of what's going on, I think, uh, because it is so jam-packed. Um, and we've got plenty of episodes worth of material that we still need to get through. But anything else you got before we wrap this up? You know what, Jason? I really don't. <laughs> All right. um, well, this has been uh, this has been a ahead. lot of fun, and, I, and I'm really glad again that Chris was able to join us from the Sarlacc pit. Absolutely love that guy. Yeah, uh, Mike, we or uh, Mike, Matt, we we wish you could have been here, uh, but we understand you know work got in the way. So the, thanks for for trying to make it out for us. Um, but that'll wrap up. This episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast, episode number 262, The Last Jedi Sparks. For Chris and Carl, I'm Jason, and we will see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair.